a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Ah, oh, welcome back. Welcome in. Josh and Emily, how are you? I am doing well. I am just so glad to be here and to be recording. What? Yeah. Back at it. It's wet and rainy in Seattle, and it feels like everything is as it should be once again. Ah, it's wonderful. All is well. The world is right. It is well with my soul. I'm I'm riding the fumes of the end of my vacation here, feeling very restful. Hmm. A lot of good food with the fam, hang out with my one-year-old nephew. It was fantastic. Oh, nice. What? Are you all drinking? Well, I think that we should have a tradition that any night that we do a double recording, there should be some sort of double version (gasps) within your drinks. Either like a two drink double fisting kind of scenario, or you just pour yourself a double pour in your drink. So I'm starting that tradition here. I did a double shot of mezcal in my drink and I made like a, I don't know what it's called, but I mixed ginger beer with mezcal in lemon juice and it is just a Great drink. Oh, wow. That sounds nice. Wow, that sounds fantastic. And not going to lie, I started a little early because I thought we were recording earlier. So I'm a little <laughs> into it already. Hey. Hey. We've we've uh, peeked behind that curtain just recently, I think. I was the one who was early on it the other day. But, An hour uh, early. I made it yeah. very clear on this group text. <laughs> you did. Yeah, looking <laughs> you did, back, yes. you did. And um, I jumped on very early with a double drink in hand. To drink alone, and it's delicious. Amazing. All right. That's okay. Emily, you're famously two-fisting your beverages. What do you got? I I am. I am two-fisting tonight. Uh, My first beverage. So I guess I'm going to have four drinks in total, because I'm going to have two for the next one as well. (laughs) Hydrate or dihydrate. Uh, My first drink is the super delicious crystal light like packet thing that I am trying out. It's a melon coconut, and it's so Mm. good. Oh, my gosh. I've had like four already today. I don't think that's entirely healthy, but I don't care because it's delicious. You're getting into it. Uh, So I am. That's my first drink. And then my second drink is just your good old body armor, uh, you know, strawberry banana. Oh, yeah. It's like a Gatorade. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sucker for strawberry banana, so... That is, those are my two beverages for our first recording. Stay tuned for what the next one has in store. Yeah, we'll find out next, find out next week. Um, I, uh, I just got back from vacation in uh, the Teton Village, just outside of Jackson Hole, like in the off, like it wasn't ski season yet. So everything was closed. Everything was very quiet. And we just kind of hung out and drank good food, drank good food. What? I messed that Drink up. Drank good food and ate good beer. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
And I, I brought some local brewing home. I'm drinking Grand Teton Brewing. It's it's their Teton Ale Amber. And Ooh. yeah, mm. it's delightful. It's hitting the spot right now. Now, my friends, uh, this wonderful episode we are recording is going to come out the day before Thanksgiving. So this will be in the height of preparing all our recipes. Any food mm. prep you might mm-hmm. be doing ahead of time, maybe. Oh, yeah. Because it's like classically the american meal that we all get together and and chow down so i thought today that we could actually talk about food and how food intersects with the bible and what it and might how we mean drink our food modern theology and how we drink our food and eat our beers <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay okay and what's i love this. what's pretty wild about this topic is that i truly think it could go in like one of or one to three of like hundred different places. Cause I've been thinking about food quite a bit. I just finished a book called Ishmael that did a lot of talking about how our very large global population necessitates an increase in food production and the increase of food production causes our population to grow, which necessitates an even bigger increase in food production. Mm. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of things we could go with food. Cause I'm thinking about, the way basically our entire economy and our entire life is based on food. Like everything we do to perform a day job is to make money to make sure we can eat. Mm-hmm. And I think about like supply chain issues in the midst of uh, COVID weirdness and the, that supply chain issue making it so that I can't buy my favorite cliff bars for my snacks, my afternoon snacks. Oh. I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff. And then I'm also thinking about how like, the Jewish tradition certainly wasn't the only one, um, but like ancient traditions having um, making a big deal about like feast celebrations mm-hmm. and how a lot of the big stories in the Old Testament, like the Israelites complaining about not having food, so they get manna and quail, right? And then they complain about that some more. But it's it's like it's about food. It seems to me, <laughs> mm. right? And even the New Testament kind of flips food like the whole Passover thing on its head and introduces Eucharist, which we've talked at length about before on Ravel. I don't know. There's just so many places. So I, I guess I've presented a few. What should the first course of today's episode be? Hey. The first thing I want to address is this right here, just com- in my mind, completely solidifies the idea that Stephen should be a Methodist because we love food. We have so many potlucks throughout the year. It is absurd. Truly, we eat a lot of food. Actually, even today, we were just joking after church about, you know, oh, when's next week's potluck or whatever going to be? And we're like, oh, yeah, Methodist and food. But like, it's true. We will have, we don't even have to have a reason to serve a huge meal. And like, you guys were inside my church and you saw how big our kitchen and our dining area was. Like, it is clearly set that way. To be a gathering place to like gather around a meal and to share in a meal and to share in each other's company. Like food is a big deal. So, Stephen, will you just <laughs> be a Methodist already and just well, claim that submit identity? Myself to the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I know I oh, this really could go in so many directions though. Stephen, what is just, it about food and theology that like is particularly piquing your interest? lately well so i i think i even said it when i was talking about my uh vacation is like 
I just had one of those vacations where we went to a place that wasn't anyone's home, right? Like we got, we rented this like cabin that had a really sweet like fireplace in the living room and tons of comfy chairs and all that. And basically like, like now that I've returned and I'm debriefing about it and like seeing people who I see in my normal life and like, yeah, I just got back from vacation and people saying, oh, what did you do? Basically like I'm realizing that it mostly boils down to like we drank good drinks and we ate good food and spent time together. And I I think about, I think the particular intersection with theology is just the way food can act as such a good excuse to get people together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something about like being vulnerable enough. I don't know, because I've always considered eating as well as kind of a vulnerable thing to do in front of other people. It's like, oh, yeah, just like pardon me while I nourish my body and make sure I survive, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It just seems like a vulnerable kind of holy thing to be like, let's eat together. Let's sit down together and like make sure our bodies make it to tomorrow and for years lo- later, you know? Sure. And that yeah. kind of feels like, you know, whether it be apocryphal or not, I that it feels like mm. what people describe as the early church was. It wasn't like get together in the lecture hall, hear a sermon or whatever. But like people talk about the first and second century church and it was like, you know, the modern version is like house church, right? Show up for breakfast or show up for dinner. And it's just something that just kind of like socially lubricates the event so that people begin sharing things that they probably maybe wouldn't have before. Oh, mm -hmm. I mean, we do that at the beginning of Ravel every week too. We say what we're drinking because we're sim we're, we're symbolizing like we're getting together in a in a like a brew pub or a coffee shop or something. I don't know. Just food and drinks seem like something so simple, but it's also something so it can be complex, it can be holy. I I think you bring up a good point. I'm not sure how I'm going to tie this back into theology, but like you've got me thinking Stephen about how the like the modern idea of us like drinking drinks together is like simulating going out. But really like the modern restaurant or cafe or bar or whatever is really like simulating go over, going over to someone's house. Yeah. But it like now these like gathering places of like food and beverage have largely become in public spaces. I mean, like it's a private business obviously, but like it's more like going out into public versus like a private home, which I do think is fascinating and I'm like personally curious to see what long term like social ramifications of that are, because like obviously we've been doing that now for like uh, what, like 150 to 100 years. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the amount of churches, I think, that like largely participate in like food being a community driver, it is common in like smaller churches, but I mean, it's definitely not common in mega churches, like unless they have some sort of like small group. Like we're going to be really intentional to like have dinner together kind of structure. Yeah. Which mm, my wife mm-hmm. and I hosted with another couple when we were leading like a marriage small group at our last church. Mm. We were the only small group that explicitly said like, we will be serving dinner. That was the same at my last small group at my last church, which was interesting because like we would attract like young adults from the church, but then also like sometimes like friends would get brought in and then it got to a point towards the end of me being there where a majority of people didn't even go to the church anymore or like not maybe not a majority but like 50 50 at least Mm -hmm. or like we're only going to the church still 
because of that small group that didn't even meet in the church, which I think is mm-hmm. really fascinating on like a social institutional level. Like the fact that like people can be swayed by food in that way. But see, that's the thing is like, I, I wish that's all church was. I think it was our last episode we were talking about church technology, right? And with with the advent of the internet and my access to however many phenomenal speakers, pastors, preachers, like if I need the content, I know where to get it. So now it feels like church should make a pivot toward coming back to the table as the thing the church does. Because mm-hmm. like you're illustrating there, Josh, it is a way to get people like into the community that probably wouldn't have been there otherwise. And I think that's a good thing, honestly. Yeah. But also, like, sometimes it comes, like, what's the best way to word this? Like, it comes across as, like, inauthentic. Like, the meme of the employer just offering the employees a pizza party, like, for their hard work. Like, Was yours inauthentic? Oh, no, I don't think so. No, but, like, I think if, it like... It can come across that way. Yeah, I think if, like, a community or an employer or whatever only engages in food or drink socializing just for the purpose of, like, retaining people, it, like... In a weird, like, paradoxical way, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It, like, yeah. feels insulting. I Yeah, I agree, but that's because you have a, a predetermined relationship with your employer, and you're like, I come here, I work, you give me money, we're cool. And, like, when they try to change that, it's like, what are you angling for, though? Mm. It can feel weird, for y- sure. Yeah, I guess so, but, like, I don't know. What's another example? I'm trying to think of, like, a church example with this. I, I guess in my mind... The first example that comes to my head is like a church campus that like doesn't normally engage in facilitating eating as a community, like on Mm -hmm. whatever scale it is. And then all of a sudden they start doing it and they're like, we're going to do this so that we have better, we get, we have better church retention. Like you want to stay here. But -hmm. then like them voicing it in that way as that function Mm. almost has the opposite effect versus like if the church was holding an event and was like, we'd like to feed you like you're showing up or like you're showing up to volunteer, like we want to feed you or like whatever like that has a reinforcing nature like when it's unspoken which i think is like kind of interesting hey i mean it certainly works for jesus when he serves four thousand five thousand men at a time right plus their women and children did it though i mean he got crucified yeah but like by them or by the rulers and authorities that did not like the threat to their power structure Uh, that's true that's true oh my Oh, gosh. But see, there it is. There's another example of like food being a big deal so much so that it's like one of the famous miracles of Jesus. Water to wine being another one. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was his first miracle. Right? <clears throat> I think that the modern Christian examples that we have, like either like the communities that like have a kitchen and like make a point to have potlucks like Methodist and Baptist, Emily. Baptists are all about potlucks, too. Emily they just are. doesn't know. It. We don't talk about it enough. Or if they're like a church community. We're all that... about the spaghetti dinners, actually. It's oh, more, yeah. it's That's less potlucks and more spaghetti dinners. Why is that <laughs> so real? Right? Why does that hit so close to home? <laughs> That's so weird. It's, it's like, it's like that reddish brown meat sauce spaghetti, right? Yeah. And just like vats full of noodles. Did you guys ever do uh like Thanksgiving with your oh, church? Yeah. We do yeah. like a. We do like a community Thanksgiving where like each year a different church will host. Oh. So like so oh, like one cool. year the Episcopal Church will host, one year the Catholic Church will host, one year the Methodist Church will host. That is so cool. It's really cool. It's really fun. 
Why can't that be like normal? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, a that's great rad. question. Our thing at my uh, the church growing up was we would do a Thanksgiving dinner, but it would be like a brunch timing, right? And we would we would rent out the parish hall of the Catholic Church in Laurel, but the Catholic Church wasn't invited. It was just our church <laughs> using the facilities because we did not have the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not saying we agree with the Catholics, but I am saying we can use the Catholics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we did that every once in a while. Um, and they weren't invited, but you were using their kitchen? I don't... Okay, framing it as not invited is probably disingenuous. It was just like, it was our church just using their space. Okay, uh, yeah, I understand. You I know understand. what I mean? To be honest, the Catholics were probably like, yeah, it's part of our community service to make our space available mm-hmm. to other churches who don't have the means to like prepare this much food in one place, you know? I mean, the Catholic Church in Laurel is really nice. Very so. charitable. Absolutely. Yeah. We would host a big Thanksgiving dinner at the church, like the Sunday before Thanksgiving, just after church. Like, like when I think back on it, like it was a huge dinner that mm-hmm. they would make. And that was just like my norm of growing up. Like because of church, we would often have like five Thanksgivings. Which is like wow. wild if you think about it. And were those things that you looked forward to? I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was just the norm, you know? Right. What do you think about, this is kind of where my mind's at. What do you think about like the modern church, at least in America, um, like needing to be like so intentional about getting together for food? Do you think that that stems from or like is evidence that this form of the Christian religion in some way has like detached itself from like the everydayness of life in a way that like Judaism has not like, cause like mm. Stephen, you touched on uh. like the whole like feast day thing or like the, the church in acts like that, that was just like normal for the time too. Like mm-hmm. if you were like a religious community or like a, like any sort of in group, like it was just kind of normal for you to like do life together or whatever. Cause you were like maybe living together or yeah, I don't know. But the radical thing that was happening was that early church people were explicitly being taught, like, don't reserve one end of the table for the the rich, cool kids. Oh, yeah. Keep it all equal. Move the people at the low side of, you know, whatever economic status they are. Like, put them at the, the, the head of the table for once. Like, equalize each other. Because I even think that that's, that's probably a version of, like, you know, we do our big Thanksgiving dinners as a church and you have to line up to grab your paper plate and like pile it high with food, right? Like the 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 act of creating a line almost has a corollary to like like we could we could keep the same teaching in mind of like, hey, if there are legitimately hungry people in your church that are just here, they haven't been able to contribute, but you put them at the front of the line. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What's your opinion on churches doing food drives? Food drives, like donate everything to Greg's pickup truck and then we'll drop it off at the food bank or something? Yeah, or um, I've been to churches before that would like acquire the like the funds or the donations to create like boxed Thanksgiving like mm-hmm. meal kits, basically. Oh, Which yeah. like oh, yeah. in value would be like, sometimes up to a hundred bucks depending on like what you put in there right and they would donate like i don't know like 50 of them i'm not sure i don't know i i don't know how to feel about it now why is that 
there's like a part of me that feels like it's manipulative that there's like unspoken terms in a way that's like evangelistic because it's coming from the church. Like even if that's not like an explicit phrasing, like here's your turkey, here's our address. I I think that like the moment that you identify yourself as being with a church, any like gift or interaction after that is mm. like seen through that lens. Like you are seen mm. as a representative of that church. So we're in a situation like, of like, don't let your left hand know what you're doing. Let, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause like Steven, your point about like a lower income family being a part of a church and being involved in like community dinners and like, regardless of whether or not they can contribute, like they're welcome, they're fed, they're taken care of. Yeah. Right. That is functionally like socially different than the church going out into the community, identifying lower income families that like need support, which granted they need support. So like, I'm, like the humanitarian part of me, like feels like this is a social good, but I think the church has a vested interest in doing it. Totally. But anyone who's going to do that, I think has a vested interest in doing it. Like, like yeah, we can just be I honest about those incentives that are driving the charity. I mean, right. Yeah. But the food bank doesn't have a vested interest. Like the food bank does not need people to be socially involved. Uh, yeah. But the food bank is also additionally funded by people who have interests in the community outside of the food bank itself. I even think yeah. of like uh, reduced cost and free uh, lunch at schools. Right. Mm hmm. It is in the in the city's best interest to make sure that they at least like appear like they're trying to care, right? Yeah, but the school system isn't asking people to adhere to a certain set of beliefs. You know what I mean? I don't know. There, there's just like a part of me now that it doesn't quite sit well with me when it's a, a religious institution. So you don't want churches doing it, but schools can do it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because I, like I, I do think it's a social good. I think it depends on maybe it's the pastor. In me, <laughs> yeah, uh, get him speaking. I think it depends on what is the drive, though, like behind serving the meal or boxing up the meal. Are you doing it to feed people or are you doing it to bring people to church? Because I think that in itself, that intention, that goal is going to determine how you serve and how you actually like meet the needs of the people so like i think laurel umc for one i know they do the box thanksgiving dinners and they don't like put any advertisement on the fact that they did it what they do is they like get all the boxes ready to go and then they drop them off so the people who are collecting them know that the church did it but then they don't like tell the people they're dispersing it to that the church did it oh there's a middleman okay i i like that actually so i think it really depends on is the church wanting to just truly just feed people mm. or are they trying to bring people through the door and they know that they can do that if they are serving people this meal here's a great story mm. around food and josh like the topic that you're touching on i think it is so it one it drives me nuts um but it also just speaks volumes to i think where like christians and churches need to pay attention in regards to evangelism and just being a good human being because uh, they can they don't have to be like mutually exclusive but they also i'll just get to the story so laurel has um a ministry in the summer called sow where they have a truck that churches participate creating lunches and they go throughout the town of laurel and there are designated areas that they will go to and disperse lunches to children and families who need meals during the summer. 
they have this because they know that oftentimes these kids, their only meal is during school. And so for them to now have a meal that they can come to in the summer and, t- and take it home or whatever is great. So there's a gentleman, though, who like coordinates and oversees this ministry. And uh, he had made the comment of, well, you know, this food and everything, it's meant to bring Jesus to people. And he just kept using that phrase over and over again. And mm. bless my mother. I love her dearly. Uh, she called me after this meeting and was like, can I just vent to you about this gentleman, uh, what he was saying? I was like, sure, go right ahead. And it got me thinking about the idea of bringing Jesus to people and doing so through the act of serving food. And my mom and I got on the topic of what if the point was just to serve food? Like, Mm. Jesus is already there. God is already there. You're not bringing God. Like, you're not, you Mm. are not the sole keeper, the sole bringer of God. And it is not only through the act of giving food to someone But why couldn't the goal simply just be to serve a kid a meal? And I think that's a great point. I think like you can have the intention and like the humanitarian in you could serve food to someone and that could just be the goal. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the minute you want to be recognized and the minute that you want to be in the front line saying that you are doing this, you're losing the goal of what you're doing. And I think churches. So many people, so many organizations are guilty of it. And so I really like how Laurel does it, where they ask their church members and everyone to come and to fill these boxes, and then they have a designated person to drop them off, and they know that the church did it, but then that's it. And the people who receive these boxes can just get this meal and feel good knowing that they get to have a Thanksgiving out of the goodness of someone's heart but there's no strings attached because they have no idea that the church did it. I actually really like that. I think that that like middleman protection is it's important. I think that that actually is very dignifying for the person being given to. Yeah, it is because, because otherwise there's a very extreme power differential. Like if a person is like really in need of support and really needing to be fed and there's like the large organization that is like giving freely to them, that is like an, that is a huge imbalance in reciprocity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Versus like a virtual anonymous donation. Um, You just reminded me of a, a youth group thing that we used to do. I don't know when this started, um, but when I was in youth group, on Sundays, we started like making PB&Js and just handing them out around downtown Billings because Billings has a substantial transient population throughout the year. And I think the church like supplied the like the goods for the lunches, like sometimes we like had something a little bit fancier, like lunch meat or something, but usually it was just a really basic sack lunch, brown bag, like chips and a PB&J, maybe a piece of fruit, granola bar or something. And we'd make like, I don't know, like 30 or 50 of them, not a ton. And then just go out, hand them out to people that we saw identified as maybe needing a lunch and we would pray for them. And now thinking back on that, I I really don't like that. Like, I don't think that, like, even if the church wasn't identified in that, because I don't think we made a point to say, like, we're from this church and, like, you should come by. Like, we didn't do that. Usually it was, like, we offered them a lunch and then we offered to pray for them or, like, maybe got to know them a little bit. But, like, even in that, there is a, mm, there's definitely a power differential there. And 
like someone who's been given something will always feel socially obligated to return the favor somehow, whether it's in kind or it's like accepting something like prayer or attention or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. Thinking back on that, I don't think we caused harm necessarily, but I definitely wouldn't do that again. Mm -hmm. It's hard to like, it's hard to explain why I feel weird about it. I think it's valid. Because like, I do think it's a social good to like feed people who need food, you know? There is, but there is a way to accomplish that and not have any strings attached or to guilt people or have this luring mechanism behind it. Right. Like the example I keep thinking of is like, how would you feel if all of a sudden a bunch of people from another religion of some sort were like knocking on your door saying, hey, do you have enough for Christmas? Like, we just want to feed you. Like, we're from the the religious community building down the church or down the street. And like, we just mm-hmm. want to feed you. Like, would you feel weird? Like encountering a different religion, trying to like reach out to you and feed you? Or would you like be grateful or would you like be both? I don't know. Hmm. I I hear where you're going, especially with the uh, like power differential of reciprocity somewhere in there. Uh, the way I've been thinking about food lately, and this is probably a theological belief more than anything, but like because food is such a basic necessity for us, I don't. Not that I need to absolve you, Josh, of anything, but like I kind of don't. I I don't know. I kind of don't mind that there are like subtle strings attached sometimes. If mm, okay. if you're choosing to, uh, even motivated by like you're trying to look good amongst your youth group of being the guy who hands out the most bags of sandwiches, I, you're you're clearly getting something out of it. Yeah, especially the feeling of like praying for someone, which is it could probably be argued like there's that other verse of like go pray in secret in your closet, right? And don't don't make a big show of it because that's not what prayers here to do or here to teach us. But if a Mormon or a Buddhist showed up on my doorstep and offered me food, I truly think my first reaction would be like, oh, whoa, this community cares to start asking. Even if there's pressure of like, come check out the the temple down the street. Ah, That's a bad example for the Mormons because I can't actually go there. But I don't know, like strings attached or not, I think feeding neighbors, feeding fellow human beings who clearly or do not clearly need it like i just feel like that's gonna do good most of the time if not all the time we're gonna take a quick break to say a few thank yous then we'll be back to our conversation thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast y'all are such a huge encouragement to us if you'd like to support future episodes of ravel visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. But we like ran out of water, ran out of food, and I'm like at the bottom. I'm 50 feet from the summit. I'm on my hands and knees. There's like maybe three inches of space 
beside me to my left and then it's just like sheer drop off oh. and the, the the climb to the summit is a scramble with just like shale oh. nope Mm-mm. and i tried to cry but i was so dehydrated oh that my. i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't cry and i turned to creeple and i go can i be done now and now back to the conversation I don't know if I have a better example or better argument for it other than like, yeah, the strings are attached, but also like people need to eat. And it does seem loving Mm. from whichever community is offering it. It does seem like a loving thing to do to offer food. Maybe if we look at it from, are they going to do it again next year? Like, Hmm. let's say they were to have like a food drive or something. is Is it a marketing thing or is it something that they have like? they want to repeat every year because they want to. Right. Like, so if they have, let's say they have this event or whatever, and, you know, they didn't get the turnout that they were quite expecting. Are they going to try again? You know, because they want to, they, they loved doing it. Like they enjoy doing it and they think, you know, it would still be beneficial because they did have some people mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. or are they going to look at it as, well, maybe we can tweak some things and do it this way so we get more people. That right there always is like a telltale for me mm, of okay. what is it that you're doing? Like, why are you doing it? Do you really like, does it really matter if you didn't serve 250 people hot dogs or whatever? No, but you served people hot dogs. So the fact that it was successful in that way, like for our trunk or treat each year, like we do, we serve hot dogs and stuff. So mm-hmm. like kids, when they're trick or treating, they come through the trunks, they get their candy and then they're welcome to go sit inside because it's freezing usually. Mm-hmm. They come windy. through the trunks. <laughs> they come, they come like we have our trunks I'm like imagining open. a child climbing through like the back seat that folds down. <laughs> hey, we did have one kid cl- climb into a trunk, just saying. So they like, they come through, they get their candy and then they go inside and they just sit in Colmel Hall and they like have a hot dog, they have hot chocolate and then they're welcome to leave. Like, that's it. You know, we don't have any little brochures, like nothing like that. It's just like, hey, have a hot dog. It's freezing cold. Come sit inside and then you're welcome to stay, go use the bathroom, whatever. If we served five hot dogs, 50 hot dogs or 5,000 hot dogs, we would still do it every year because one, we have people in our church who are like, hey, is there a way we can serve in the community is there a way that we can serve and participate and us gung-ho methodists always want food and we think hey let's serve food at this event and so we're gonna just do it because we love doing it we serve five people those five people said this was great you should do this again next year and guess what we'll do it we don't care if we served every single person in the Mm. community like we don't care if we have the brochures and they come to church the following Sunday because that's not Hmm. That is not the goal behind serving the hot dog. Right. You know, I hear your point about sustainability, but if a church community believes that Jesus literally fed 5,000 people one time and 4,000 people another time, I don't want to hear anyone brag about feeding people unless they feed that many people in a day. Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> you know, Josh. <laughs> that, was, that was a hot take. Do you Thank think you. do you think that Jesus had strings attached when he shared the uh No, because they were there no. consensually and they were there to listen to him preach already and it would functionally be the same if people showed up to church and you were like, "Well, we're just going to like order some pizza." Like you're already here, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's no different. I he also think. seems to pretty like on the plain text reading be pretty black and white and pretty simple about like 
when people are like, what we like served you all our lives and we're not like welcome in. And he's like, did, did you feed the hungry people? Did you clothe the naked Ooh, people? Oh, that's a good point. Mm, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Part of me is like, yeah, the Jesus way is to share food. Yeah. And just like strings attached or not. I don't know if Jesus ultimately cared. I'm not saying there shouldn't be strings attached. Like, sure. I don't think it's wrong to like be in a, like some have fo- some form of a relationship with a person and like, want to be a regular part of sustaining them. Mm-hmm. But like, it feels like a form of volunteerism when a church is like only doing it on special events or uh, like irregularly or mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like it's more for the people doing it than it is for the people they're feeding. That could be, but I personally but maybe know people that's who, not always the case. I, well, I personally know people who have been served by churches I've been involved in in the past that like, the the kids who have now graduated high school say like yeah the only reason we had like anything good to look forward to on Christmas morning was because the mm. church was involved in donating toys and like sure yeah it's a special event and yeah there's all sorts of critiques about Christmas being the 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 consumerist holiday but at the same time like it is kind of a time in our country at least where we just kind of agree that there is something magical happening mm. and when that's denied to people that hurts a lot, you know, and like it brings a lot of shame on parents who can't do that because they're paying their electricity bill or whatever. Cause it's a cold winter. So like even, I don't know, just special events, even being a, a part of the part of the thing. It's like, I see a church who wants to engage in that kind of charity. If we're going to call it what it is like that, it it just seems like a way that you can get, and serve your community. There might be strings attached, even unspoken ones. You might not even have an explicit expectation that you're going to get like uh, 200 more people to your Christmas Eve service because you did that. I don't know. I just, I still kind of like it. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. I want to reference one of your tweets from earlier today, Josh. Oh, okay. You said that in your professional opinion, cafes are vital to society. And I, I want you to embellish this, this thought. Oh, man. <laughs> <clears throat> Boom, on the spot, go. This is more of a, like, historical opinion than I have. Like, if you look at the correlation between the Enlightenment, the Age of Enlightenment, and ph- philosophical thinking, mm-hmm. and the rise in coffee houses, that is where most of the public discourse happened. And certainly... It happens in different ways today. Like usually when you go out, it is with your friends. It's with people you know. But sometimes it is in those third places between home and work that you do meet new people or you get introduced to new people. Like you go out with one friend and they introduce you to another friend. And it's for some reason in our like modern industrialized business society, we've like created these like simulated environments where it's like going over to someone's house because we're like eating and drinking, but it's not. And, but it's like the place where connections and relationships are deepened. And, expl- and it's, it's explicitly anymore. It's like, let's sit down at a table, share a drink, share some food. Right. To varying degrees of how much you're drinking and how much you're eating. So that's like, see, that's how you and I met. Yeah, that's how we met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there are dozens of people that I've definitely only met because of going to a coffee shop. Totally, totally. And then your days in Billings, you facilitated conversations much like the ones we have on Ravel at Beerlosophy, 
at mm-hmm. one of our favorite breweries. And I think it is my mm. personal professional opinion that without those spaces or without the uh, large abundance of those spaces in a community, that community suffers. Like, mm. even if you just think about it from wow. a real estate perspective, like, you are so much more likely to want to move into a neighborhood that has established restaurants, cafes, bars. Like, there are places and good businesses in that community that you can go to and not just support, but like be inside of and them be around you like that is attractive and like i don't know everyone recognizes that you know what i mean yeah it is a pretty common montanan stereotype that a town is defined by having a post office and a bar (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) right like regardless of what the population of that town is considered because a lot of the time it's just a hub where a lot of farmers happen to live around so they put a post Mm -hmm. office and a bar maybe not even sometimes a grocery store like a bar Will almost always beat a grocery store to a very small Montana town. Yeah, yeah, but that pretty much exactly what you're saying. Like that—that's because it works, though. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, yeah, you could go grab a beer, and like, there's the stereotype of bar food, but like, sometimes that's that's what I want to eat. Right, sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, so like these cafes and these third spaces simulating going over to each other's houses. Again, that just reminds me of like what I've always heard the early church was like. Yeah, totally. And like, oh, look at that. Were Jesus people just onto something? Because like, it seems like the instituting act of Jesus, like before going to the cross, was presenting Eucharist in a way that like elevated it out of the Passover meal, which was already a big deal, right? And like a week long celebration. Right, like to that point, it was kind of already established in their culture to like be communal around food and hospitality. Mm-hmm. Like not to say that they weren't trying to put their own twist on it and like do something in their own way, but like that was already kind of the cultural norm. Uh, to go back to the church thing, I was just reminded of, an, of another food thing. Have any of your churches ever had a food pantry? Mm. No. I don't think so. Fascinating. I Ma- wish we did. Okay. Why don't you then? You have a kitchen. Le- we have a kitchen. Well, logistically, like, and it would ha- it would be figuring out where to keep mm. the pantry. Oh, I so get it. COVID supply chain issues. Yeah, I get it. No, I I hear you. <laughs> Very sassy. Um, yeah, that was. That sorry, was sassy. you guys. I'm like two thirds of the way through my double drink. <laughs> nice. Um. So my dad's church growing up did have a food pantry, and it was like right on the border of the downtown sector and honestly got a lot of foot traffic because it's a very visible church, like not cathedral like, but like definitely big and tall and bricky and lots of people would come through. And I don't know like how often there would be like quote unquote regulars, but the food pantry was often stocked with like non-perishable goods and the church would always like freely hand out food and sometimes would like give gas vouchers or on rare occasions, put someone up in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And I've always been intrigued by that because I do think that that's functionally different. Like someone coming up to the church, like asking for something, even though you could like argue that it's a form of pain handling or like, I don't know, like oh, there's always going to be someone that ab- tries to abuse any system. So of course, like some people only wanted cash because they did want to go buy drugs and alcohol. Like that is real. But like people would take food sometimes or um, like just need like, some gas for their car because they're like traveling through and they're broke. And I think that that is interesting, like to have a 
for the church to be like a hub of resources well like that's established? my church does that okay. you know like through our good samaritan fund we have people you know like we can pay electric bills or whatever the case may be but oftentimes like we will have people asking hey i need a place to stay and we will pay for a hotel or we will pay for food but what we do is we don't give the money directly to the person so let's say like someone needed a place to stay for the night um they needed a gas for their car because they're going to be leaving the next day and they have no money for food like they're moving from one town to another but this is all that they have like literally the clothes on their back they're starting fresh um so what we would do is like we would go and get like a 50 dollar, 100 dollar, whatever gift card to like albertson's or walmart and then like we would go and get a gas card so they would only be able to get gas on the gas card. And then we would go and find a hotel or motel and pay that place directly for that person. Right. So the person's not getting the money, but they're still getting what they need. Which like kind of begs the question, is that the best way to do that? Yes. Okay. What would your case for that be? I think because if someone's asking for food, shelter, whatever. And we say, yeah, we can take care of that for you. Like, you don't have to worry about having all this money and then trying to find the place for yourself. Like, if you've never been to Cody or whatever the case mm. may be, we we can help you in this. Like, we don't want to just give you money and then say, okay, bye. Like, you're on your own, like, good riddance. We want to actually ensure that their needs are met. And so we want to make sure that that that's taken care of. And I do think it has been in the past where churches have been burned, where they have all this money, they offer it, and then they find out like, oh, yeah, nope, this person's been going from church to church. Like they just buy alcohol all the time uh, or whatever the case may be. And so it's like, hey, you know, you say you want food. Like, why don't we actually get you a meal? And we'll know that you then have a meal in your belly. Like we know that you mm -hmm. have food in your system. I don't know. And I, I could have blinders on. Personally, like I could be blind to the situation because I am in a church that has an assistance program like that. But I do think it is the best way to assist people. Mm. And it's a way. And I think knowing that like this is exactly where the money went for us is important as well in case we're ever audited or, you know, budget wise, like our church needs mm. to still have the lights on and we need to make sure that like things are taken care of. But we also want to make sure that we can continue that ministry. And so we want to make sure that our money is going to like good places, like making sure that like money for Albertson's card or like a good hotel. Like we don't want to just throw them into some rat hole or whatever the case may be. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's a fair perspective. Like I've heard people disagree with that, but I also think you bring up some some good points. The food thing is interesting to me. Like, that's why that's kind of why I'm bringing it up is like, mm -hmm. like, I think that the the different ways that the church in the modern context interacts with food mm -hmm. is really interesting. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about those brunch Baptists going to Cracker Barrel. What? <laughs> wait, wait, what? Did you not see that on Twitter a while ago? Yeah. No. Um, I, I guess there was a there was a notable instance of a bunch of people getting out of a Baptist church going to Cracker Barrel and then like being incredibly abrasive and rude oh, to the servers yeah. who were wearing masks and yeah it was just like oh you mean like every Sunday after church yeah yes. but but Cracker Barrel <laughs> in particular 
came up on Twitter paired with a lot of evangelical uh, keywords and hashtags and whatnot. Fascinating. Yeah, because beyond potlucks, I think the uh, the brunch after church thing was the biggest way I participated. Like even in youth group, like many of us in youth group had a tradition by the time I was like a junior and senior in high school where we would get out of church and then we'd go to the restaurant at the golf course in Laurel. And it was just like, oh, oh yes, yep. classic. That group, that group just showed up again, and like the servers knew us. And to be fair, they liked us because we tipped well, because we were polite people, and we were very good at being customers. But yeah, that is not the case for other people who like to do brunch after church. So I didn't know for the longest time about like how terrible of a reputation after church Sunday lunch rushes were. Mm-hmm. among the server industry until probably like I feel like I learned more about that like about six years ago and I think that if a church is going to proclaim like if any Christians of any sort are going to proclaim that they care about feeding the hungry and like the downtrodden and like we're just trying to reach out to those in our community who are needy the reality is is that most underprivileged underprivileged people a lot of the service industry is made up of those people like most of the service industry is like below the poverty mm, line. That is a very good point. And if you like are going to go out <laughs> to, <laughs> ah, it just like drives me crazy. Like I might write a book about it someday, legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> because like if you, A, want to go out to a restaurant and you like want to support them, like you should want to pay them. And like, like you shouldn't have a problem with like helping them pay their workers if you want them to stay open. Right. And B, if you're like going to be open-faced, if you're going to be an open-faced sandwich about being a Christian and funny, you like like to purport that you are feeding this hungry and like your church is doing good in the community and you don't tip at least 20%, like th- there is like so much there that you need <laughs> yeah. to reconsider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If not mm-hmm. tipping more. Because like if you like actually want to be generous to the community, to the underprivileged, like it is in tipping. Yeah. Which is food. It like all relates around food for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. It just makes me really hungry. Now. There's the rebrand. Uh, instead of 10% tithing, you just budget all that and tip like crazy when you eat uh, it. Mm. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. Mm-hmm. I'm also that into that. good to me. <laughs> I, uh, I came across that um, like as a concept probably about, uh, what year is it? Oh my gosh, probably like about eight years ago when I was like hearing a speaker at a conference and he was talking about like tipping and like I already had weird feelings about tithing. Like we've talked about this on our money episodes. Totally. And and I was like, you know what? I like feel like I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm like going to use that money to just like go directly to people. And I totally saw like the function of tipping as like a like a safe form of giving because I mean, granted some places like do tax tips because of like, mm-hmm. like laws are different state to state a little bit. Yep. But like that's usually minimal. And it, also if you just account for that and like you eat the cost basically, like yeah, you right. are functionally giving more money to people directly when you tip versus giving money to the church when mm-hmm. honestly the majority of those funds go to administrative things, mm. which yeah. are valuable. I, I will admit like Emily, your job is yeah. very valuable in the community. Your church provides resources <laughs> for people socially and economically. Um, oh, thank you. Thank but you. I think, I think a lot more Christians should participate in tipping. 
Yes, absolutely. How does that strike you, though, Emily, being a person who benefits from people being generous directly to the church to keep your lights on and to help pay for your potlucks? I I mean, Josh hit it on the nose. If you claim to be something, but your actions don't reflect that. Mm. Like, yes, like my pay and everything is impacted. And yes, our lights need to be on. But like at the end of the day, I want to know that people are not going home hungry. Like, I want to know that people like that kids have three meals a day and are able to function and to actually live lives. I could care less if they come to the church and if the lights are on, because if they come to church and I can tell that they're starving, then I'm doing them a disservice by standing at the pulpit and then being like, okay, church, let's make sure we love everyone and we take care of everyone and stay for our potluck and then like go and leave this place and hope you can get your next meal. That would be like, Mm. that's awful. You know, that's just awful. Mm. It's wild how many things come back to food. I'm just, I'm still struck with this feeling of like a lot of things we've been talking about in our society. Lately, like I think about headlines of like child poverty, child hunger, right? Even in America, mm-hmm. let alone like a global shortage of food in places that need it most. Yeah, it just it all comes back to food. I feel like supply chain issues, um, the way you spend your money, like the the biggest things on the budget are like pay for a warm place to be in the winter, like shelter and food. And that's like what drives the whole economy, right? Whether it it is direct, like food creators, farmers, ranchers, whatever, or servers like Josh. Yeah, it all just seems about. I like we haven't even talked about like what what it means to think about like your personal relationship to food and how like I think about how um, different eating disorders, you know, church people would interpret as like making food an idol. But yeah, I don't know. I just thanks for thinking about this with me because with the uh, there's so much with the Thanksgiving yeah. holiday knocking on our proverbial door here. Thinking a lot about food. Okay, I have one last thought. Go for okay. it. What is what is your favorite food creation memory that you have? Oh wow! The very first time I made a pumpkin pie from scratch, all of Ooh. it from scratch. Nice. Um, it was humorous because i used the wrong part of the pumpkin uh and alex lovingly what? um yeah uh, did you use great. the outside you're supposed the to use the outside oh you used all the seeds and stuff i used all the guts and the gunk hey it turned out okay mind That's you funny. It, did. it turned out okay but uh yeah i alex will never let me live down the very first time i made pumpkin pie uh, but it's my favorite because I make it still every year, but I do it correctly. Um, but I just. <laughs> who did you make your first one for? My first pie? Yeah. Who was it for? Uh, it was actually for Thanksgiving. Oh. And it was back in 2000 and I want to say 2017. Yeah. Is wow. for is for Thanksgiving when we were off to grad school. So. Hmm. Yeah. Very nice. Josh, my answer would be, I didn't learn to cook much from my parents, and I honestly think that's more my fault than theirs. I just never 
was a kid who like seemed curious about how to make things, you know, Mm. I would eat them gladly, but I was never like, can I help cook or whatever? My brother was, my brother was for sure. But the first thing I remember ever being taught how to cook, my dad taught me how to make grilled cheese sandwiches. And to this day, when I make a grilled cheese sandwich, I always think about my dad. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I have two memories that come to mind. My first one was uh, me and a friend were visiting our friends in Austin, Texas, and we were like looking up a place to go to, and we found like a a really unique thing that's found in Austin sometimes, but it's a it's called a Sonoran hot dog. It like it originates from Sonora, Mexico, and it's like a specific style of serving a hot dog. And so we were like, let's buy like the best Sonoran hot dog we can find in Austin. And then we'll make our own version and like go at it head to head and like see which one comes out on top. Mm. And like it's it was like so fun. So we like went and bought all of our ingredients and then we like went to the food truck. Food truck was closed. Oh no. So that night no. we oh, definitively no. made the best Sonoran hot dog in nice. Austin, Texas. Nice. Nice. And that was like <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> it was just like so fun and like it was such a good it was hot dog. And then my other one is uh, uh, this guy I used to live with is an animator and he like made this animation that he called World's Greatest Grilled Cheese, which is a, it's a pretty funny, I think, animation. And he got to the stage where he wanted like sound effects and stuff. And I was like, well, I think the answer is pretty obvious. We need to make the World's Greatest Grilled Cheese for the sound effects. Because if you don't, someone out there is going to realize that we didn't make the World's Greatest Grilled Cheese. So we went and bought like really excellent bread, really excellent butter, garlic, really excellent local cheese. And we made what I think might be one of the best grilled cheeses I've ever had. Like it might be world's greatest. It was really, really good. Nice. But like that whole like, like the whole process of like coming up with the idea and then executing it and then like doing it together. I think that's like so fun. Totally. Hmm. Well, that feels like a, yeah, now I'm I'm just just hungry. I'm just really hungry. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Steven. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. Feels like a good close though. I guess with Thanksgiving just around the, the, uh, the calendar corner on us at the time of this episode, I guess we're recording it like a week and a half before and it's, this episode is a day before. So with that spirit in mind, Mm -hmm. I would like to say that I am incredibly thankful for you two. Um, for this project and I guess just as a bonus because I've I've been really digging in on discord lately and like um shared some stuff with the uh the anniversary of my first baby's like what we decided her due date was so we kind of celebrated what would have been her first birthday while we were on vacation with my family and it was really touching very bittersweet it was like a very Mm. like it was probably the most intense emotions I've felt with my family and around my family, but it was really nice. And I shared some of those moments on the discord and we, we all started chatting. So I, Josh and Emily, if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to give, I just want to give extra shout outs to the people who are in our community. Um, Um, just to, just to let them know that we are incredibly thankful for them too. So we have Jeff, Courtney, Tyler, Adriana, Jennifer, Brandon, Anna, Chad, and Danelle in our group. And, those people bring me a lot and they Aww. like, I don't, I don't know if they fully appreciate how much 
this little group means to us. Cause to me, like I haven't been to church since COVID started. And mm-hmm. to me, our Ravel discord is like the closest thing that I have to real church. And anymore, it feels like it's the community I turn to anymore. And I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna That's cry. accurate. It's a good group in there. Any final thoughts you two before we, uh, before we cheers. Um, I hope that you all have a blessed uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy the food. Enjoy the company of family if you're able to. Um, if you're traveling, be safe. Yeah. Josh, anything? No, I don't think so. Wonderful. Thanks for letting me just ramble this episode. Turns out I had a lot of thoughts about food. Yes, please. Thank yeah. you. I loved it. Yeah. You know what I was just thinking about is how, I don't know why my brain did this, but I was, I just, I just was served the idea of the lion laying down with the lamb. And I was thinking about how like that same idea is often portrayed in language. Like when we say like, we broke bread together, like, yeah, we disagree, but we break bread together. I don't Mm. know if that's meaningful or not, (laughs) but that's just something that occurred to me just now. I think it is. But once again, it just kind of illustrates like it does come back to food. Even like mm-hmm. a phrase like that that symbolizes like setting aside differences and joining each other at a table. It's, it just seems like it's all down to food. Emily, would you like to uh, give us a blessing? I shall try. Food. The thing that we gather around, the thing that we consume. There are so many questions and ideas that we have around this idea of food. Ancient and modern. It's something that we are raveling out together. It's something that we are partaking in and participating in. It's nourishing us and it's something that we can all share in together. Welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.